Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. We are going to be studying about the false prophet as we read about him in Revelation chapter 13. If you have your schedule of the events to take place before and after the return of Jesus the Messiah, you will notice that we are on Roman numeral 2, which is during the time of the tribulation, during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and we're down on letter G, the false prophet and the one world church comes into full form. Now, this, I believe, will take place as we're coming to the midpoint of the tribulation. And I think it will be when the false prophet and the one world church come into full form that we will see ourselves going into the second half of the tribulation, the second three and a half years. And again, it's going to kind of be a building up uh, of this happening. It's not going to the world, one world church isn't just going to come into being overnight, nor is the false prophet going to come into his full form overnight. But it will be a building during the tribulation. But what we're going to be looking at is kind of the climax when the false prophet and the one world church are in their full form. And that will bring us up to the second half, second three and a half years of the tribulation known as the Great Tribulation. And today we're going to look at the false prophet, and Lord willing, next week we'll look at the one world church and see if we can get any understanding from Scripture about the one world church that will help us uh, to be aware and to see it as it begins to form, and we might be able to recognize it. Revelation chapter 13. We're going to look at the second beast of Revelation 13. The first beast we saw was the Antichrist. Now, the false prophet, the second beast, uh, has a very prominent part in end-time events, although not much is said about him. Everybody wants to talk about the Antichrist, uh, and how many people really know about the false prophet? Yet, I think in some ways, he is even more dangerous than the Antichrist. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Now let's read, beginning in verse 11 of Revelation 13. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. 
And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now I want to start off tonight by looking at the contrast between the Antichrist and the false prophet. First, they come from different places. Notice in verse 1, And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. So the Antichrist comes up out of the sea. In contrast, in verse 11, And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. So the Antichrist comes out of the sea. The false prophet comes up out of the earth. Now what is the difference in these? The sea is used in Revelation to refer to the Gentile nations. Therefore, the Antichrist will be a Gentile. Now, over in Revelation chapter 17, in verse 15, is where I I get this understanding of the seas or the waters to represent the Gentile nations. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And so I think the sea represents the world at large or the Gentile world. Now what about the earth? The earth may refer to Palestine or to Israel. Therefore it might be that the false prophet will be of Jewish descent, but nothing is definite about that. We're really not sure quite what it means when he says he comes from the earth. There are some commentators that will say that that means he's going to be Jewish. He will not be Gentile. There are other commentators that say, well, there's really no basis for saying that in the book of Revelation. And if you look through the book of Revelation, you really cannot definitively say that the term earth refers to Israel or Palestine, but it could. Now, this brings up a rather interesting scenario. If indeed the false prophet will be of Jewish descent, then this would lead us to consider that he may well claim to be the Messiah. He may claim to be Jesus, having been from Israel, being Jewish, and there are some who believe that he will claim to be Jesus. Second contrast, the Antichrist is definitely a political figure. As we see in verse 1, he had ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, remember, crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names. So diadema is the royal crowns, Again, we saw that the crown stands for power uh, in many cases, and he's crowned, and so he is a political figure. 
In contrast, the false prophet is a religious figure. Verse 11, And I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. Now, if you look in Revelation, lamb, a lamb is a religious symbol. Jesus is represented by a lamb in chapter 5. As John looks at the throne of God and he sees, he says, a lamb as if his throat was slain. His throat was cut. And so a lamb has the religious connotations. And in Revelation is a symbol for uh, a religious person or significance. Now, he exercises his power to deceive the whole world into worshiping the Antichrist. Now, in history, mankind has never been able to rule without religious devotion. If you look at it, Pharaoh called on Janus and Jambres, the magicians, the religionists of his day, to oppose Moses and Yahweh, remember? When Balak, king of Moab, sought to destroy Israel, he hired Balaam, the false prophet, to curse him. When Jeroboam rebelled against Judah, he felt compelled to build idols of gold at Bethel and Dan and to bring and make a priesthood so the people could have religious devotion there in the north without having to travel back to Jerusalem. Ahab and Jezebel were able to do what they did in Israel because they were aided and assisted by the prophets of Baal. And so it seems that all political systems must have a religious devotion if it's going to be successful in drawing people. Even communism has a definite Fanatical religious devotion as its base. The worship of materialism or atheism or humanism. Islam, many of the countries now that are influenced by Islam, what are they we see in there? But this religious fanaticism is very much a part of the uh, ruling of the country. Every movement will have a religious devotion at its base. It will either be godly or it will be satanic. If it's satanic, it will oppose godliness vehemently. And this is the reason communism is so opposed to Christianity. This is the reason that the Islamic nations are so opposed to Christianity. And as we have just said tonight, we are seeing our country that was founded with Christian roots, founded on Christian principles, is moving away from those principles so that it's said now that we are a post-Christian nation. And I don't think anybody in here would argue with that fact when you look at the Supreme Court rulings, uh, the rulings uh, in state courts, as well as uh, what's being propagated on the television uh, and in the movies. Uh, you don't see biblical morality being lifted up. We are becoming the oddballs, aren't we? We who hold to biblical morality are politically incorrect, 
and we are the ones who are out of step. You know, back in World War II, I don't think anybody in here was old enough to probably be going much. Maybe Maryland might have been World War II. But back in that day, even if people were not Christians, they still believed the Bible had truth. And they still believed of the morals of Scripture. Now, they might not go along with them, but they at least believed they were right and they knew they were doing wrong. Now, truth has become relative. Well, if you don't think it's wrong for you, then it's not wrong for you. And so what we're seeing is, again, a shifting away, even in our society. Now, I want you to notice also remarkably how closely the Antichrist and the false prophets stick together. They support each other. Now, this is strange because usually in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of evil, leaders war against each other. Usually there's a constant struggle and warring among evil men. Gangsters, for instance, always having their wars, gangs wars over their territories, uh, over the drugs, over the prostitution. So it's it's rather unique and unusual that these two men who are so evil are sticking so closely together. But they do, at least at the beginning. They're blood brothers. The Antichrist gives authority, financial support, and military support to the false prophet. And the false prophet takes this and uses it for the tremendous, unbelievable, and measurable support of the Antichrist. The false prophet will be one of the keys to the Antichrist's rise to power. He will be his best cheerleader. He will, in a sense, also be his henchman. Now, let's look at the lamb-like prophet. First, his character. As we see in verse 11, two horns like a lamb. Like a lamb. And when you think of a lamb, you think of gentle, don't you? You think of harmless. You think of domestic. I think what we're seeing here is that there will even be a softness about the false prophet. There will be an easiness about him. Who is afraid of a little lamb? Nobody. I mean, what could be more sweet and tender than someone who wants to help people feel good about themselves? Right? Who just wants to give them a, a sense of God presence. Help solve their problems. Help relieve their sense of guilt. Just help them to feel better. False prophet will have a softness and a gentleness about him that will be very deceptive, very dangerous. You know, when someone has a, a soft and gentle and, and caring and winsome personality, I mean, you just... It's hard to get mad at them. It's hard not to believe them because they care so much. They care about me so much. He just wants me to feel better. He just wants to help me. You know, and, and he's so gentle, he wouldn't hurt anybody. And so the false prophet 
is going to be a religious leader that is going to be very attractive to people because he's going to appear to have a genuineness, a softness about him. Uh, people will not, from his appearance or not from his outward sense, be afraid of him. They will be drawn to him. Uh, they will be comforted by him. But notice it says, two horns like a lamb. Now, he's not a lamb, but he looks like one, be, being harmless. But he spoke as a dragon. He appears gentle and harmless, but his voice will be the voice of Satan, the dragon of chapter 12. In chapter 12, we see Satan represented as a dragon. And in chapter 13, he says, but he has the voice of a dragon. Now, what can that mean except his mouth will be filled with deception and lies and perversions of truth that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus said that. He deals in deception. And the false prophet will also deal with lies and deceptions of Satan. Satan will be his, his voice. He will be Satan's mouthpiece in that sense. You see, Satan's most dangerous activity is religious activity. I mean, when he shows himself in his vile, evil, wretched way, man, we, we recognize it. We say, ooh, man, that's repulsive. That's evil. But when he clothes it in half-truths, in religious half-truths, it becomes very dangerous. Mormonism, prime example. They have, they have family night every week. They strong on family. I mean, who can fault that? I mean, they're, they're real strong on family. They're strong on, on, on morality in the sense of, of not drinking and not smoking and, and, uh, not having premarital sex and all those things. I mean, that's admirable, you say. And so they get you on that half truth. You know, these commercials, they show the family and how strong they're on the family and all that kind of stuff. But then what they don't see, that's the half truth that hooks you. The lie underneath it is, yeah, and if you're a good enough man, you can be a god and you can have your own planet someday and you can repopulate it. You women can't be gods, I'm sorry. But if you're married the right man, you can be eternally pregnant. <laughs> Who wants that, right? <laughs> and have all these spirit children and run another planet. Uh, again, all these half lies. Oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus. You gotta believe in Jesus to be saved, but what they don't tell you is you also gotta follow the ordinances of the church. See? Jehovah Witnesses, again, half truth. Oh yeah, we believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus is God. See? It sounds like that. But do you believe He is the same God as Jehovah? Oh, no, no, we didn't say that now. See? They don't believe in the Trinity. Three gods, but not Oh, no. Well, anyway, again, these half-truths. Satan's most dangerous spokesman are the religious spokesman. Why? Because they catch people off guard. They make people think that they just want what's good for them, that they're trying to help them, that they love them and they care for them. 
The Baptist preachers who deny the Bible is God's word. They are dangerous spokesmen for Satan. Preachers who support homosexuality and abortions and, and all of that. They are dangerous. I think they're some of Satan's most dangerous spokesmen because they come disguised as sheep when in reality, what are they? Wolves. And Jesus talked about that. False prophets who are be in sheep's clothing, but underneath they're wolves. And that's what this false prophet, he will be the epitome of one who comes in sheep's clothing, who looks like a sheep, but he will be a wolf. And he will appear to be a lamb, but he is not. The real lamb of God is Jesus. The false prophet will only be an imitation. All right? Now, the false prophet is going to bring about a one-world religion. We'll hopefully be talking about that next week. It will be a form of perverted Christianity. I'll explain this more next week. It will not be Islam. It will not be atheistic communism. It will not be Buddhism. But the one-world church will claim to be Christian. But it will be such a perverted form of Christianity, it is Christian in name only. Now, there are movements already that exist to try to form a one-world religion. You know, the Episcopals priests can become Catholic priests now. And uh, several years ago, Queen Elizabeth and the Pope met to try to bring closer ties between those groups. And, you know, there is an ecumenical movement going on to try to consolidate And we'll talk about next week how this is going to come about. How can you take all these different religious groups, all these different groups within Christianity, not to mention the other religions of the world, how do you get all these to come together to form one world church? The false prophet's going to pull that off. And we'll see how next week. Let's look at the false prophet's power in verse 12. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. He has all the authority of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will delegate to the false prophet the authority equal to his own. There's no competition between the Antichrist and the false prophet. Rather, the false prophet is the Antichrist henchman. Thus, the Antichrist will give the false prophet full Authority. Now let's look at the false prophet's goal. What will be his purpose? What is he really desiring to do? His main goal will be to cause mankind to worship the Antichrist. He wants to bring them to worship and adore and give allegiance to the Antichrist. Now, he's going to seek to do this by two means. The first means, he will achieve partly through deception. He will seek to blind humanity to the truth through deception. And the first thing he does in this era of deception is he will do great wonders and miracles to deceive the people, verse 13. And he performs great signs, 
Remember, attesting miracles. So that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs and miracles which were given him to perform in the presence of the beast. And so he will do great miracles. I will not be a bit surprised if he will not imitate the miracles of Jesus. And these will not be gimmicks. It won't be sleight of hand. They will be supernatural miracles through the power of Satan. Now remember, the unbelieving Jews wanted Jesus to give them a sign. You remember? They kept wanting a sign and he wouldn't do it. Well, this false prophet is going to give signs galore to seek to deceive people into worshiping the Antichrist. He will cause fire to fall down from heaven. And that's reminiscent of Elijah at Mount Carmel. Remember the two witnesses also that we saw made fire come down. And Jesus warned against false prophets. He said, false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. He said that over in Matthew 24, 24. Now, the false prophet will deceive the unregenerate lost people. Notice it says, those who dwell on the earth. You remember I told you a few weeks ago that that phrase, those who dwell on the earth, always refers to the unbelievers on earth. And it says that he will deceive those who dwell on the earth. Christians will not be deceived. By the grace of God and the Spirit of God, we will see the truth. We will know this man is a false prophet. We will know, and we will not be deceived. God will see to that. Also, he causes the image of the Antichrist in the temple to speak and even seem alive, therefore deceiving many. Verse 14, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, the false prophet will force people to worship this image. And those who do not conform will be killed. That's the reason he's called the Antichrist henchman. People will have a choice. You either worship the beast or you're killed. Therefore, the first way he seeks to accomplish his goal of getting mankind to worship the Antichrist is to deceive them, to blind them. Now, his second way to bring men to worship the Antichrist is by force. Or he will bind them. Verse 16. And he causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. 
The false prophet will institute a one-world economic system. Now, when I first preached this series over 20 years ago, articles that I was reading then were, were talking about how it was already on the drawing boards that we could easily go to a cashless society and bring about a one-world economic system. Now, we have talked about here recently how there is a growing call among different world leaders to have some type of one-world economy, one-world currency, to help guard us against what we have been experiencing these last several months. Also, we've talked about how there are chips now that are embedded in animals, and they can be used to track animals. Uh, information about the animal is encoded on the chip so it can be read and know who the owner is. Well, the technology is here. The technology is here for each of us or for each person to receive a chip under their skin and that chip would be used to buy and sell, just like we use the credit card now, the debit card now. It's a very small leap from having a card in your hand to having a chip under your skin. And we've talked about how it's much uh, more secure. You don't lose your hand. <laughs> you lose credit cards. People don't steal your hand. They steal credit cards. Uh, and so uh, we're not that far. In fact, the technology is here when the time comes. Now, he says, everyone... We'll have to have the mark of the beast either on his hand or on his forehead. Now, obviously, I don't know what this is. Nobody knows for sure what it is. But again, I believe that we as Christians will recognize it when it comes about and we will not take it. Because it clearly says those who do take the mark of the beast will be thrown into the lake of fire. And so somehow we are going to be able to escape taking that mark of the beast. It could be, again, that we might be uh, put in some type of detention centers and we'll be separated from the general population as Christians. It might be, again, that, that somehow God just supernaturally moves in and we're protected. I don't know the particulars, but I can assure you that as a Christian, you will not have to take the mark of the beast. God will supernaturally protect us. All right, so here we have the false prophet seeking to bring about this worship of the Antichrist, this bringing about of a one-world church that, again, will have the purpose of leading men and women to worship the Antichrist. Now, I want you to see, as we conclude, the doom of the false prophet as we see it over in Revelation 19, verses 19 and 20. This is after Jesus returns. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse against his army. That's the Antichrist and his armies making war against Christ as he returns. And the beast was seized. That's the Antichrist. And with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. 
And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. That's hell. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be thrown into hell. They will be the first people in hell when Jesus returns. That concludes our study for tonight.